listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast raising the bar at workplaces everywhere. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective are their own and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're talking with Erica Ko and Kana Enomoto of McKinsey & Company about their research into the mental health needs of U.S. workers and what employers can do to address these needs. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Workplace Perspective has a new website. Visit us at www.workplaceperspective.com. Check out our new look, including our featured guests and archive sections. Share us with your friends and colleagues to help us continue to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Kana and Erica. Good morning. Thank you so much. It's great to have you both on. I'm really excited. Um, as I mentioned, when we were getting uh, preparing for this show, I have wanted to do a show on mental health issues in the workplace for a very long time. So we are very excited to have you here and to hear your research perspective into this issue. But before we get started, um, Erica, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do at McKinsey? Sure. Um, so my name is Erica Hukko. It's great to be here with you today. Alongside Kana, I get to spend a lot of my time co-leading our Center for Societal Benefit through Healthcare at McKinsey. And through that center, our focus is to collaborate with other organizations really to drive positive innovation and change, focused on improving overall health and well-being. A big focus there is the topic of mental health, something that I am personally passionate about and, and have cared about and focused on for a long time. And, and we try to make a difference in mental health, both through new research, new analytics, um, projects, partnerships with others. And a big focus has been workplace mental health as well. So it is exciting to have the opportunity to share some of that research today. Um, yes. Hi, Teresa. Thanks so much for having us. I do have the great privilege of working with Erica and a team of wonderful folks at McKinsey at our Center for Societal Benefit through healthcare and also uh, in our healthcare practice where we work across sectors. We work with employers. We work with health systems. We work with governments uh, to um, advance the way we can address mental illnesses and substance use disorders, uh, not only in the healthcare system, but also where people live, work can play. Uh, so this is a, an exciting conversation because the workplace is where so many of us spend our time and uh, where those of us who also have families and, and relationships in the communities are also getting our, our health care and our information. Um, so this is a, it's an employ, important sector to think about. I, it's true. It's really interesting. Uh, something you said just triggered something for me at the start of the pandemic, I'm talking about turning to employers for information and that trust. And at the start of the pandemic, there was a lot of information going, a lot of research, all sorts of things, but they found about halfway through the pandemic that employees were actually with all the misinformation that was going on, um, the employer employees were turning to their employers as a source of trusted information. I thought that was really amazing. Um, 
a statistic and I can't remember where I heard it, but I found it to be true um, because employees were really wanting this, you know, they want to know what's going on and that's where they were turning. I thought it was amazing. So to turn that with regard to mental health, I think it's super important and it sounds like a great step in the right direction. So the two of you um, conducted a survey and I understand it was 2020 and it's, it's how I came to uh, find the two of you on this particular issue. And I think that you found some really interesting information that I think our, our listeners are gonna find really interesting. Um, let's kind of start with talking about this employer support for mental health. Um, one of the things I think you both found uh, to be interesting from your research was a bit of a disconnect. Is that is that accurate? It is. And I think I'd add that the, in terms of kind of perspectives that have informed this, there was a very large um, survey we did end of last year. We're in the process of relaunching that. So we, we're excited to see where trends have gone and did a pulse check over the summer. So some of the insights we share have been kind of trending year round and we're in the process of um, doing kind of surveys for any employer that is interested in better understanding the mental health of their employees uh, as well. So we have some insights from some of that too. And I think that, that what really stood out, if we look about all the insights that are out there in general, is that where there's this contradiction of, well, it's wonderful that mental health has much more awareness and appreciation. It's, it's much more likely to be a CEO priority than it was before the pandemic. There is still this troubling disconnect. And when we surveyed side by side um, the employer kind of decision makers and then employees, we did find that while many employees were saying employers were saying that they have prioritized this and recognized the growing mental distress among their workforce as a result of the pandemic, employees do not feel as supported at similar rates. Many were not aware of the benefits that were offered. It just one stat to share if we look at frontline employees specifically, 71% of employers with frontline employees reported that they were supporting their employees' mental health well or very well, whereas only less than a third of frontline employees felt that way. So I, I think that, that there's real opportunity. It's great that we have all of the momentum of the growing interest of employers, but it's important to get under the disconnect of what will it take to, to make sure the employees are feeling that support. So what do you think, I was really curious about that. What do you think the, is it just that an employer thinks, well, I have a, I have a, a artificial intelligence app for them to use, or we put this out there, we, we increased our health benefits and then it's sort of a one and done. We're good, right? We're doing this. Um, do you think that's where the disconnect comes from on the employer side? I think the disconnect comes from a few places, but to your point, too, you said, like, how do you avoid something becoming a one and done or a launch and leave where you don't know the impact of the intervention that you've uh, added? And and I and what we've identified is a real need to deepen measurement and accountability for uh, these mental health programs that employers aren't necessarily measuring uh, or collecting the data to know whether or not people are using these services, uh, whether there's follow-up care and whether or not, you know, something is being offered, uh, but it's on paper and in actuality, employees have a difficult time accessing that. So for example, one out of five employers says that they are improving access to substance use disorder treatment, uh, whereas of employees who have a need for substance use disorder treatment, four out of five say it's challenging to access care. So if the employers are actually working with their um, 
their third party administrator or with their health plan, um, they would uh, perhaps be tracking what is the wait list, what is access to care, what is what are the denial rates uh, for my employees and are they getting what they need? There is so much that goes into this question, and I have so many questions going around in my head. Your survey talked about generational needs. So employers addressing these um, particular issues on a generational level. And one of the um, one of the one of the stats you had was that it was very important to Gen Z. Can you tell me a little bit about why that that when they were looking for employers? So explain a little bit about what you found with Gen Z and why is it so important to them? Happy to start here and kind of feel free to jump in. You're right that there are generational differences that we're seeing. And I think that for some employers, they're already very focused on future workforce and some of that difference, but for others, they aren't. And I think it's going to end up being a wake up call. There's already a lot of focus on the great attrition and attraction that's going on of people switching jobs and, and, and moving around as a result of the pandemic. But there are, are much different expectations for what an employer needs to provide of Gen Z and of the um, individuals that are entering the workforce now. And a big one is mental health support. I think that there's a big difference in a positive way in terms of um, much lower stigma among lower younger generations where they're more comfortable talking about this. They expect their employer to be supporting their mental health needs and they really are looking for um, more access. And I think it'll make a difference in their decisions on who to join and, and who to stay with, both, both kind of recruiting and, and retention. Is there something they're looking for in particular? Because I looked at it, I thought, well, is this someone who's coming in with a health issue, a mental health issue, and that's why it's on their mind? Or is it more of a overall wellness, you know, looking at health and well-being, and, and that's what they're looking for, a, a work-life balance? And that's an indicator of an employer maybe who takes work-life balance seriously? I think it's a it's a both and. So we do know that Gen Zers are reporting higher rates of anxiety, depression, and distress than other age groups. Uh, they are also more likely to report having been diagnosed with a with a mental health or substance use condition in the past. Uh, so they're they're a generation that has more awareness. Uh, of these concerns and they have higher expectations. So they're also expressing less satisfaction with the services that they've received. Interestingly, you know, as the digital native uh, generation, they're, they're less satisfied with telehealth and digital tools than the older generations. You know, I was laughing that, um, you know, you get a, a Gen X or a baby boomer and they're like, oh my God, how cool I can see a doctor on my iPad. Uh, whereas Gen Z wants to see something that is more engaging, more gamified, more sophisticated uh, than older generations. And so the bar is raised and they, they do see their employers as playing a pivotal role in their health and healthcare. And so that's something for employers to think about as, as they're looking at pipeline. Um, there's a, a generation that's acutely aware of what their mental health needs are, uh, who haven't been very satisfied with the services that they've received and are going to make decisions about future employment based on what they see being offered and, and the level of leadership and commitment that they see uh, in organizations. It's really interesting. It's great. Like so many things that uh, that they're giving us, that particular generation is really driving a lot of things. And I'm happy to see that this is one of the things that they're driving forward. All right. Well, we've got the signal. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back more on this really interesting topic of mental health in the workplace, stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Take a step toward bringing our country and community together. Start a meaningful conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us. Like us. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us, and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with Erica Ko and Kana Inamoto of McKinsey & Company about their research into the mental health needs of U.S. workers and what employers can do to address these needs. So we've talked a little bit about sort of what the issue is. Um, what I would like to do is sort of talk to either one, and I'll throw it up to whichever one of you wants to take the question, but there's a few things we can talk about. What employers can actually do to support mental health in the workplace, as well as creating a sort of more of an inclusive workplace culture. We're going to be talking in another show about stigma, uh, which is a huge part of what prevents people from stepping forward in a workplace context to even talk about mental health. So talking about that workplace, Connie, you want to start us off? First and foremost, what employer can do is make mental health a priority uh, and communicate that at every level so that there's clear leadership commitment around the issues and uh, cascading through the benefits, through the workplace culture. Uh, it's clear to managers and to employees that uh, there are resources. This is a, a, a organizational top priority, a CEO priority, and that people are encouraged to get the support that they need, as well as to uh, foster their best possible performance in terms of, of thriving uh, and, and promoting well-being. So looking at reevaluating workplace norms, uh, how are we looking at our work-life boundaries? How are we talking about our commitments? Enhancing mental health supports. Again, we talked about looking at benefits, looking at network adequacy, looking at those virtual and digital tools. And, and in particular, gender-specific programs or uh, programs that meet the needs of specific subgroups. We know that women uh, and uh, people who are caregivers, people who are identify as racial ethnic minorities in particular, have experienced uh, greater distress and are at higher risk for burnout than other groups uh, in the workplace. And so they may need tailored solutions as well. And oftentimes, Erica noticed this, noted this, that many times people don't know what is available. So are employers clearly communicating what they are doing and what is being offered and how to do it and that people are encouraged and have the time to do so? And then the point that I raised earlier around measuring progress and outcomes that, you know, they should consider writing target outcomes around utilization and mental health resources and then making sure that they are measuring those things. And then looking at those very real indicators of employee uh, performance, attendance, absenteeism, et cetera, to know, you know, can I put put my finger up and gauge, you know, through the wind or through data, how my employees really are feeling. Yeah, that I'd add to that, I think. In terms of kind of sequential approach here, while first it's critical that employers just make sure they have the right benefits in place, then they need to make sure that em employees know about it. I think the, the third point that you alluded to, Teresa, is around stigma of how do you then make sure employees feel comfortable accessing those resources? Something that Khan and I had a chance to do an interview recently with Darren Staglin, and one thing that really stood out was um, he would note that the single biggest influencer 
of a behavioral health program success is the level of personal commitment from the CEO. And I think that that really speaks volumes. And if the tone isn't set from the top, then then people won't feel comfortable. And, and some pretty stark findings from some of our research that are from employees out there right now and in, in every, you know, everybody's organizations are that many employees with a beaver health condition said that they would and have avoided treatment because they do not want anyone finding out about over a third of people with a reported mental illness and over half of people with reported substance use disorder. And so to think how, how are we supposed to be supporting our employees and ensuring a productive workforce if people are afraid to ask for help? There's a lot that needs to happen there. And, and the disconnect plays out there too. While 80% of employees, full-time employees, we surveyed said that an anti-stigma or awareness campaign would be incredibly useful. Only about 20 plus percent of employers said that they've actually implemented one. So I, I think there's a lot. And, and when we, you know, even survey some higher up employees, many of them themselves admit that they wouldn't feel comfortable talking to somebody about it. And so there's really something that that I think we need to do to change the, the dialogue and the openness and support. So then people can can feel comfortable accessing the benefits that are out there. It's interesting. I, I agree. And I do think that that goes back to that disconnect, right? Oh yeah, we, we want to do it. We want to do it, but don't prioritize putting the campaign in place and reaching out. But as you're speaking, I'm thinking we talk a lot about workplace relationships on this show and I'm thinking trust. Connor's put a great message. Love has no labels. It's trust. You can't have those kind of emotions. You can't bury yourself though, if you don't trust your employer and I don't know that that's generational or not. I just don't know. I, I think I think it's just this idea. I have it myself. I wonder about how much can I trust an employer with that knowledge, uh, if, whether it's me, my spouse, a friend, you know, you just don't want to give the wrong advice if there's not trust there. Does research speak to, to that sort of issue and, and how that plays into it? You know, of late, there's been a lot of conversation around psychological safety in the workplace. And what that often refers to is people's um, feeling of comfort that they can take risks and make mistakes and and that organizations can learn and recover from that. But we think that that also extends to people being, you know, bringing their their full uh, their full selves to the workplace and being able to share information about needing to get supports uh, or when they are struggling uh, with 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 issues, whether that's personal or professional. Uh, and feeling safe about um, uh, disclosing that and about getting the, the care and, and treatment that they may need. Uh, and without that kind of safety or with the, you know, nine out of 10 employees that we've surveyed said that there's some or a lot of stigma in their workplace. I spent my entire litigation career uh, litigating disability discrimination claims. And it's the same thing, you know, a mental and people don't do it that way. I think it is Garen. Garen is coming on our show uh, is going to be on the show as well later on. But he has this great point about it's not a character issue, but it's perceived as a character issue. Like you are a malingerer if you can't come to work because you're depressed or because you have a family member who's being impacted by mental illness and it's affecting your ability to be where you're supposed to be or fully commit or bring yourself to the workplace. But it's not a character issue. It's just like having an accident on the freeway and now you've got a physical disability you've got to mm -hmm. deal with. But even that's stigmatized. Because the minute you get, you know, somebody wants to take FMLA or, you know, any sort of state's rights leave, oh, now we got a problem. You know, what, how's this going to turn out? 
And there's that feeling from both sides in that trust issue. I think one of the things that that really starts to build trust is back to kind of leadership signaling from the top, being being open about sharing stories. And it goes on the positive side, too. So remembering that it isn't, well, if someone has a mental health or substance use disorder that they're dealing with, they need the extra space and and support. But also there are a lot of great stories of recovery. And there's individuals who have thrived, who have um, effectively managed conditions. And I think hearing the positive stories in addition to um, to others opening up in vulnerable ways about the challenges they've dealt with is really important. To your trust point, I think at the end of the day, people acknowledging that this is a topic that touches every single person. Half of all people will have a mental or substance use disorder during their lifetime. It means our loved ones, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, and as a leader, much of your workforce. And so just recognizing that it isn't that mental health problems are isolated problems. They impact everybody, regardless of age, background, geography. And so having that trust, knowing that it easily could be could be you as well and, and how to support. So it's more an issue that is very commonplace and everyone might deal with it at some point, hopefully starts to help build the bridges on the trust side as well. Yeah, because I do think it's it is like it is like an accident. I mean, you too, we talk a lot about uh, in the law practice about grace for employees. And I've said this when I've spoken to, you know, I've had an opportunity to speak about it. It's like, try to throw off when you're faced with those situations, throw off those preconceived notions you have about whatever it might be, mental health or somebody using a disability and just see that person in that situation and then give a little grace. Put yourself in that position. It could be you, you know, who knows what goes on in your life and how would you want to be treated? And I think that that's, a huge aspect of that trend, getting that to trend, getting that to switch, reframing the discussion and the issue. We're just getting our, it's almost time to go signal. And I really want to hear in our, in our last few minutes, your thoughts, tips, personal stories uh, in our last few minutes. Uh, if you'd like to share, uh, uh, Kana, I'll start with you. Want to give a nod to one of our great partners uh, in the work that we've been doing is um, Schroeder Stribling Mental Health America. And, you know, Schroeder is relatively new as CEO of that organization, but she's already been an outspoken advocate to, um, you know, what some of the discussion here today is, is. It's important for all of us to understand that mental health is health. And as we're coming out of this, you know, unique moment in our national history, uh, as we think about the collective trauma we've been through and the change in how we work, it's new, but it's also long overdue uh, reckoning with how we think about mental health in our workplace and in our lives. Uh, So I'm just really excited that we've talked about this today and that you're going to continue with your listeners uh, to help advancing these issues because it is it is critical as we move forward as a society. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hoping to do our part. Erica and you. Sure. I would just share that. I think that we're at a really exciting moment in time where each of us has the potential to really drive change. And I think that, you know, just viewing this as a a call to action for us each to be mindful and empathetic towards those that are experiencing mental health challenges, but also to realize that each one of us can be better mental health advocates, whether it's in our communities or our families or our workplaces. And I think that that hopefully that will lead to, to very positive impact to come. That is great. Ladies, you have been lovely. Thank you so much for coming on and being uh, first in our series on this really important issue. Love the information. Great, great, great. Keep doing the work that you're doing. We so much appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. 
That's our show for today. If you want to learn more about Kenna and Erica and their research efforts on the web, at you can find them on the web at mckinsey.com under the Our People tab. That's M-C-K-I-N-S-E-Y.com. You can also connect with them via our website at workplaceperspective.com. I want to also thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Nave at Night, and Workplace Perspectives team extraordinaire, our engineer and producer, Paul Roberts, our associate producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective. And until next time, keep raising the bar. 